Time now for Think Tank. I'm joined by Mark Saunders, former Toronto police chief, as well as Emery Aikens, media and crisis communications expert. To both of you, good morning, and I think we can still say it in the first week of January. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Uh, Guys, I want to start with a topic that wasn't on our list to discuss, but I'm I'm pretty sure you guys have an opinion on it, and it's Bonnie Crombie's record haul of $1.2 million of fundraising in her first month. She she set a, a, a goal of a million dollars to raise. Uh, she, they, they, the, the Ontario Liberals surpassed that. Uh, Mark, you were a former uh, candidate uh, for the uh, ter- Ontario PCs. If I'm, if I'm the Progressive Conservative Party, is that an indicator that I should be worried? No. You know, first off, congratulations to Bonnie and, and uh, the fact that she's a, the leader of the Liberal Party. But, you know, the numbers right now for the PCs are, are have come back up again, and, and uh, it's moving a business ahead, you know, getting things done and making sure that our economy's in the right track and moving in the right direction and a whole host of other things. But no, uh, making that money is just the beginning of the journey, and uh, we'll see where it brings us. And Anne-Marie, the, um, the, the, the argument that Bonnie made upon winning the leadership was, she said, I'm not going to run for a seat in the near or medium term uh, because I've got a lot of a lot of work to do on the ground. I've got to rebuild this party from the grassroots and I've got to raise a lot of money. Now she's shown that she can raise money pretty quickly. So should she reconsider and try to get herself a seat in Queens park? Well, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to say at this point because it depends on what seat it is, but she can still be pretty, pretty effective. And I think she's already proven that, that she can be pretty effective outside the house uh, uh, as well. You you can get the audience, uh, uh, the attention of the media fairly uh, easily, even though you're not uh, in the house ma- making your arguments. So I think uh, I think she can do well either way. And I think I did disagree with Mark a little bit, and uh, that uh, that I think they are, are probably the conservatives are probably a bit worried about her because she has proven so far that she's pretty effective at uh, uh, running a campaign and uh, really capturing the attention of many liberals, I think that uh, giving them a little bit of hope. And I think, uh, I think uh, Doug Ford's going to have a, a tough run. He's got some serious issues he's going to have to deal with over the next couple of years. And uh, we'll see where it goes. You know, elections uh, are, are won usually in the last uh, little bit, uh, not, not two years ahead. Yeah, but, campaigns uh, matter. Campaigns matter. But but in the lead up, sh- shaping that narrative matters as well. And look, I concede the fact that she's uh, she's the leader of a of a party that doesn't have official party status means that if she were ever to rise in Queens Park uh, in the legislature, she wouldn't really get that much time, maybe a couple of questions a week, according to Steve Pakin, when we talked about this a little while ago. But, you know, I look at how effective a man like Pierre Polyev is at taking his his interactions with the prime minister, putting them on social media and turning those into whatever he needs them to be, either informational bits, either fundraising bits. He's able to take those things and do a lot with them. And part of me thinks that, you know, the, the place for a leader is regardless of your status in the House is to be in the House, the place for protesters, the place for press. That's on the outside of Queen's Park. Regular people like me, we're the ones who chant on the outside. But leaders who want to hold other leaders to account, they belong in the House. And the visual of seeing a leader opposing another leader is, I think, very important. Anne-Marie, what do you think about that? Well, I, I think you make a very, very valid point. And uh, I, I, th- I think that may change. I think right now, she doesn't see a seat in sight. That could change down the road for sure. All right, let's move on to a uh, an article that uh, Warren Kinsella wrote in the Toronto Sun. 
where he talks about uh, TikTok and universities steeped in anti-Semitism. And look, I don't want to keep beating the drum as if uh, every problem leads us to anti-Semitism. Today, the information gap uh, on TikTok is about the Holocaust, but tomorrow it could be a completely different uh, topic. And and really, the, the gist of what he talks about is is perhaps a correlation or a causation between Generation Z's reliance on TikTok as a um, as a search engine and the rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses. Um, but the misinformation due to TikTok is staggering with 20% of young people thinking the Holocaust is a myth. Uh, and, and this correlates to the fact that the number one search engine for Generation Z is not Google, but TikTok. And it feels like, feels like we as a society, as the elder generation, have a moral obligation to do something about this. I mean, this seems to be, to me, Anne-Marie, or Mark, we'll start with you, seems to me like the writing's on the wall. This is only going to get worse. So we should do something now before things get worse, no? Well, no, I, I totally agree with, with the fact that misinformation is high and it's coming off certain digital platforms. I, I have a bigger concern is, you know, are our schools countering that misinformation. I mean, sometimes when I'm listening to uh, certain people uh, from schools, uh, professors and others, I have concerns that they're not helping disproving the narratives that are that are out there. And these kids are pretty influential right now. And with AI coming in, we're going to be in trouble if we don't figure out how to correct this and move this in the right direction. And Marie, uh, is 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 TikTok the is TikTok the illness or is it the symptom? I think I think the only thing TikTok is, is it's where our, our young people are. And I think they've always shown us where they are and who influences them. And it's our res- uh, uh, responsibility as the elder generation to meet them where they are. You, we can try and eliminate, you know, TikTok or replace them or whatever. It, they'll just replace it. That's why TikTok was created in the first place. Because they got sick of being where uh, adults were. So uh, they, they, Twitter, you know, they liked it at first. Now they don't because it's, it's the adults that are there. So so that's what kids have always done. So uh, young people have always done. But, uh, but so what, what's the solution, Anne-Marie? Because if you're saying meet them where they are, but they don't want to be where we are, then, then they're going to go. If we show up on TikTok to try to counter this misinformation as, you know, the, 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 the learned elders of the village then they're just going to go find a new place to go hang out. And if hanging out on their own leads to a wave of people saying, you know, Osama bin Laden had some good ideas. Well, at some point, at some point, we have to recognize this is an unsustainable model. Oh, I think I think that's but that we're never going to fix that. So we have to what we just have to keep meeting them where they are. And I know that's frustrating, but they're always going to keep changing. So it's important that media uh, elders, uh, educational institutions, and, and uh, speak to them so that they can hear us. Because otherwise, you know, young people won't listen unless we speak in a language that they they can appreciate and understand. And I think our Mark is absolutely right. Our schools, I think, have failed them in t- to a certain extent. Did they stop teaching hi- hi- history? Did they stop teaching about anti? Uh, um, Semitism? Did they chop, stop teaching the, the important skills that should be mandatory, like English is mandatory? Why isn't this mandatory whenever you're going to any kind of, especially higher education, but not just higher education? I think the education starts uh, in kindergarten. Well, so I, we, you know, right from the beginning. 
Well, you know, and this is where the conversation starts getting all the more important, but all the more tricky as well. Bill Ackman, who is a a famous um, uh, investor uh, who's been giving a lot of money to Harvard for a long time. He's really been the tip of the sword of the criticism of higher education in the United States. And he just wrote this morning that uh, that upon uh, everything that happened after October 7th, you start to start investigating. So what was going on on these college campuses, specifically Harvard? And he came to the conclusion himself that the the issue was, uh, in a lot of ways, was the prism through which so much is learned on college campuses these days, specifically oppressor versus oppressed dynamics that are brought on in a lot of ways by the push for uh, diversity, equity, inclusion on campus. Now, I'm not trying to tar and feather DEI initiatives whole hog. But his sense was if you view everything through that prism, then it's very easy to come to a conclusion that, for example, that Israel is an apartheid state. Mark, is it, it, it that to, just saying that right now is causing me anxiety for the fear of the repercussions that I might feel from Twitter because of what I just said? No, I, I, I think that answer is oversimplified. No one should ever be going to any learning environment and be scared or nervous. And this is what's going on right now. And it doesn't have to be in the States. Here in Canada, we have Jews that are afraid to go to university. They're afraid to say who they are because others are going to respond back in a negative way, and especially with the environment. The institution has to create the environment. It has to be by the policies. It has to be about making sure that they enforce these things. And right now, there is nothing that, that speaks to that. And that's what the problem is. That when you arrive at school, you should be guaranteed that you should be feeling safe. And the people that are, that are running it should be made sure that they do that. Well, you know what, Anne-Marie, you know, your, your expertise in communications and crisis management. What, what did you think a month ago when you watched the leaders of MIT, Harvard, and UPenn get hauled in front of Congress and give the testimony that they gave? What, what, what did you think when you heard it? And then what advice would you have given those ladies after they had given their testimony? Well, it, it looks like uh, they were afraid to say, take any position. That's what it looked like from a communication perspective. They were just afraid to take any position uh, for fear of being attacked by one side or the other. And I think when you do that, it gets you into trouble. There is, there is, uh, is in, in, unless you come clearly with what is the policy, and the policies are clear. You know, if you go back to the basics of the policy, um, they're very clear at uh, uh, of any kind of um, racism or discrimination. And so go back to your basic policies. I think they all got muddied in that because, as I said, fear of taking. Uh, uh, and I think we all are getting muddied in that on who's who's at. Everybody's looking for who's at fault rather than what's right and what's wrong and, uh, and sticking to that. And, and it, it is getting, um, I think, fueled up by uh, our social media and that, our, there are, that has gotten a little bit out of control. Uh, I think however bad Twitter is, or, or excuse me, TikTok is, Twitter is 10 times even worse. It is not policed now at all and not... Uh, um, monitored and people can say whatever they want from anonymous bot accounts, and uh, it just gets fueled up. It's uh, and, uh, and that's that's been really difficult to watch throughout since October seventh. It's just been it's just been an awful awful 
response on both sides. I think like everybody has gotten fueled up um, through hate, through fear, through all kinds of ways. Well, it is my pleasure at 745, 746 to be on Think Tank with Mark Saunders and Anne-Marie Aiken. We've got a lot more topics to discuss. I love this uninterrupted until 8 a.m. Um, the uh, the um, I, I want to talk about Quebec City. Uh, they given a good hard look to this Finnish model of trying to uh, to 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 um, solve their homelessness crisis. Uh, the Finnish have been wor- working on a fairly consistently on a housing first policy. So we'll worry about everything else afterwards, but let's get people inside a fixed address first. Now they've been doing this pretty steadily since 1987. And so, so this is not some, this is not a magic bullet that it fixes a homelessness crisis. They have been doing this steadily for decades. Uh, is this something that we could adopt uh, Mark here in the city of Toronto or or A, is it a product of a different era? 1987 is a long time ago. And B, are we just, do we have to really look at, at the, the issues that are specific to Toronto and say, all right, we can maybe take a, a few parts of that finished model, but we have to come up with our own made in Canada solution? Yeah, again, it, I think people ought to tend to think that there's this matrix moment out there that's going to solve this thing, the blue pill versus the red pill. It is going to involve all levels of government having to work together and investing in this. And they they have to act on it now. It has to be a priority as well as affordability. And, you know, to take another country's version of it, it, sometimes it's not necessarily uh, the right way to go about it. There may be some strands of things that are good within it. But overall, just looking at the population and looking at immigration and the numbers, I mean, they have 30,000 a year. We have 740,000. There'll be more next year. And even the social things, if you look at the drug-related deaths, you know, in our country, in, in three weeks, we would have more drug-related deaths than they would have in an entire year yeah. on our best year. So a lot of moving parts to it. But let's all recognize homelessness is one of the biggest issues right now next to affordability. And it has to be all hands on deck. And all government has to work together. And we're not seeing that working as well as it possibly could. And Anne-Marie, I have to say, the one thing I do take away from this story that I admire is that they have had more or less the same policy in place. They've been rowing in the same direction as a nation on this file since 1987. So I don't know how many times they've changed governments and how many times politically those governments have changed direction. But to have a, a single policy that has been dri- you've been driven by the same policy to achieve your goals for that long, it, there's something admirable in that. Oh, absolutely. I think the uh, I think their main policy has stayed consistent, but I am pretty confident that their ideas uh, that fit within that policy, how you solve uh, problems, have adapted since 1987. Oh, I'm yeah, they must have. They must have. They must have. There's no way. I mean, I was talking about it a little bit earlier this morning. You just think about the issues of, you know, how we view drug addiction, how we view alcoholism today versus 1987. There's no way there's no way with that that change from something being a social ill to being considered part of mental health and addiction. That's such a big change in conception that there's no way that that policy hasn't changed significantly. But you're absolutely right. Broad strokes is one thing, but the details are are where, where uh, uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road. We can learn from every successful country like, uh, like them to, to, uh, to adapt ideas because, the, uh, as Mark said, the, this is a complex, really complex problem that was 
was there before the pandemic, but worse than during the pandemic. I think the uh, it's complex because it intersects between some of our more, most challenging problems like addictions and mental health and um and uh, and uh, you know the underhouse the there it's just so complex that you have to uh if you think in per- terms of you need to get them off the street first whoever it is and then deal with the problems later i think but one of the things that we sometimes forget is just we have to have those pro- those other programs in place at the same time so that they're there once we get people off the street. So, um, and I think today requires really um, all of us, as Mark says, three of three levels of government, but not working with the community groups uh, on, at the ground level that know the solutions. And then, then looking outside that box altogether, like how have we explored things like home sharing enough and, and that kind of thing. So really thinking outside the, outside the box and then how do we how do we uh, you know meet those those different needs and um and i think that's and how do we be flexible within our policies sometimes we're really rigid we're you know sometimes uh, people won't get off the street because you won't take their animal yeah, with them that's right they have their pet that's their lifeline to them yeah. and and you won't allow it and then that's uh, kind of you know we can be you know our own saboteurs by setting up it, unrealistic policies that uh, without looking at the individuals. Well, I want Mark, I would like you to tur- uh, for us to turn our attention to the American halls of justice and a case before the courts that could shake the very foundations of the legal community and the law as we know it in the United States. A woman went into a store and purchased a Halloween themed Reese's peanut butter cup and the picture on the front suggested that the candy on the inside would look like a jack-o'-lantern with the cutouts of the eyes and the nose and the spooky mouth. But upon opening the packaging, she realized that it was not a jack-o'-lantern, but instead simply a a regular chocolate uh, um, uh, pumpkin filled with peanut butter. And she She said, no, I will have none of this and sued the makers of the Reese's peanut butter cup. And a judge said, yes, this case can move forward. Your thoughts, Mark Saunders. Ben, this is next level stuff. That's all I can say. You know, uh, I, I would I would like to be the fly in the wall listening to that judge during the recess periods. (laughs) No, not (laughs) not a word pun there. But, you know, it's. When you look at today and the climate and all of the things, uh, and, and then you listen to this kind of complaints and you go, well, I, I guess there's some democracy speaks for itself. And, you know, it can sue for almost anything. It, it's very unfortunate. You hope that courts would be used properly. But uh, she feels the way she feels. It's compelled her to take this chocolate to the next level. I yeah. hope it tasted well. I mean, I don't I don't know. And Marie, like, I, 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 you got to prove damages. I, I have no idea how she proves damages in this case. I mean, I get, listen, I get false advertising. I get that. But to, for this to be able to go to a court and, and part of me enjoys this. Not, I'm not going to get like, this is the cleansing tonic that I need on a day where the news can sometimes be very heavy. But at the same time, it seems like such a frivolous case. Yeah, and I, I would hope that doesn't happen often or here in, in Canada. Our courts are so overburdened and uh, that uh, and busy 
you know, we're throwing out uh, really challenging, uh, awful cases because we just don't have time for them. So I would hope that our judges and our judicial system isn't wasted on frivolous things like that. But you're right. How do you prove any kind of damages? You know, if you want to, you know, prove some sort of false advertising, but we have other mechanisms for that, not our judicial system. I want to move uh, our attention to Edmonton. And in 2020, the city council approved uh, the purchasing of a number of electric buses to add to their fleet. And within a few years, half of that fleet is now out of operation because they have broken down so much. They are unreliable. Apparently, the cabin is very hard for bus drivers to even get into unless unless you are a as 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 one, as one city councilor said or, or one one um, operator said unless you have a, a regular sized body if you're too small or too big you're not going to be able to drive these buses uh, and now on top of that to make matters worse the company that they bought them from has gone bankrupt and so it's very hard for them to get the, either their money back or seek redress or get repairs done and um, I, listen I don't fault a city council for wanting to adopt green technologies uh, at all. I, I, think, I think we have to make those changes, and, 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 and I find it admirable. And to be fair, these buses only make up a small fraction of the entire uh, uh, transit fleet of Edmonton. But does, does this highlight the fact that in certain cases, we may be a little too eager, then maybe the technology is not ready for prime time? I mean, what, what is your assessment? What is your conclusion of this story? Mark? Uh, oh, me? Yes. Sorry. I should have started with that, Mark. <laughs> no, listen. If, if I'm not sure what this story is trying to be. If it's a message on e-buses are bad, I'm going to disagree with that. There may be some crappy companies, and this one obviously is going bankrupt. So if the city wants to save a few bucks and buy something less inferior, they're going to have to deal with the consequences to that. Yeah. You know, listen. We're moving forward. We do want to be green, and, and, and technology is there. And there are going to be thousands, if not millions, of buses that are going to be great. And there are going to be some that are good right now. So, listen, uh, exercise better you know, due diligence when it comes to what you're going to purchase for your city. So, yeah, Anne-Marie, it, 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 is this, this is a procurement issue, right? There's not a technology issue. Uh, oh, I absolutely agree. That, yeah, it's a, I think they, they looked at saving some costs, as Mark said, that, uh, um, because... The, uh, the electric buses have evolved significantly and both, and if we want to think very locally, both uh, TTC and uh, Go Transit are both using buses in spite of one is completely city pretty much uh, other than some of their mileage is uh, city operated. So you needed an electric bus that was really good for um, uh, city driving and you, and you Go needed a, a bus which was a harder problem to solve that could go very long distance uh, on the highway because the buses go from city to city and so forth. They can't be stopping halfway and charging. That just wouldn't work. So they both went through uh, long periods of testing for buses and the procurement uh, uh, issue is, is a much more complex one here. And, and I think they both, successfully got uh, new electric buses or hybrid buses that are working yeah. um, in spite of the the different transportation. So I think a di- different experience, but you do have to pay for what you, what you get. And the technology is more expensive now because it's new and evolving. That's going to change in time. 
there'll be cost savings on, on and we'll be saving the environment. So, um, or helping save the environment. Get, getting so, there in baby steps. Uh, my last question before we uh, say goodbye and thank you both is what would you do if you joined a gym in the new year in order to better yourselves uh, and to, to keep up with your new year's resolutions and you found that everywhere you looked, you didn't just see people working out, but you saw people recording content uh, because they are health in, and wellness influencers. And everywhere you looked, you ran the risk of being in somebody's shot. Mark, what, what would you do? What would you do? Would you complain to the gym? Would you leave the gym? Would you talk to the, the person with the tripod? What would, be, what would be your action there? No, we're seeing more of it, you know, Ben. And uh, <clears throat> Unfortunately, I, I, I do go to the gym and I see it. I personally don't like it. Uh, the gym's for working out. I, I don't think people want to see my fat belly on that treadmill. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it, it, if they're going to influence, that's great. But I really do think that it, it takes a lot out of how I feel when I go to the gym. Um, I don't know. They should rent space or do something. If you want to make money, do it. But, like, it shouldn't control my environment yeah. or how I feel when I'm in a gym. Yeah, and Maria, I feel when I go to the gym, I, I view it as a zero judgment space. I'm not there to talk to people. I'm not there to be part of a community. I'm not there to be a, a, an extra in someone's video. I'm there to do what I got to do so I can get on with my life. And, and, and I, just, I just think that, that certain influencers might be trying to rewrite the rules of the game without consulting with everybody who's playing the game. Yeah, this is a, yeah, I don't even like working out in front of other people, let alone risking having my picture on uh, uh, someone else's uh, Instagram. So um, I, I think this is a, a business problem that needs to be, have some creative solutions, whether it's you can only do it over here, you, you know, you can or, cer- do yeah. your, or, or, or certain saying, times, this is a camera free zone and. Uh, they have to figure that out for their own particular business and how it works. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to leave it there guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this think tank. Happy hump day. Happy new year. And we'll talk to you soon. We really appreciate it.